Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder and Valerie Graham with Find Me, Police Psychics and More, produced and broadcast by the Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. We're lucky to have uh, a guest today named Chris Robinson all the way from London, and he'll be joining us a little bit uh, in the show. And uh, Val? Hi, Kelly, and welcome back. Of course, we are... uh, this is our second show on our inaugural journey here for Find Me. And for those of you who would like to see right now who are on the Internet, www.findme2.com, www.findme2.com. And Kelly, your organization, Find Me, is probably the only group in the world that does the kind of projects that you do. Please share with our audience a, kind of a recap of what you do. Well, currently, uh, Valerie, uh, we have uh, over 100 psychics in the group, and uh, this has grown uh, slowly and methodically through the years. Um, most recently, we went uh, to a little over 100, and uh, it's, re- it's psychics that have all of the different um, skill levels. We have remote viewers, and we have uh, cognitive Precognitive dreamers, uh, which uh, Chris will be talking to us about today, and uh, along with all of the clairsentient, clairaudient uh, members and uh, remote viewers, etc. But anyway, uh, along with retired and current law enforcement, are part of the group with uh, various skills, and uh, then of course our Arizona Search Track and Rescue uh, partners, which handle uh, a lot of our searches with our uh, Canine Corps. Well, you just came back from Washington State, I understand, this week in one of your searches. You had been on one of your searches. What happened? Well, everything went uh, exactly the way we wanted it to as far as the safety factor and the um, the weather really cooperated. Uh, anyone that's ever been to Seattle or you know heard about Seattle, they know it rains there a lot. And the day of our search, it was a 70% chance of rain, which by Seattle standards is 150%. <laughs> yes, but indeed. About 7 o'clock in the morning, um, the sky started to clear, and we literally had absolutely gorgeous, no clouds in the sky the whole day. So the the conditions were excellent. Unfortunately, we didn't find the little girl. Her name was Lindsay Baum. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to go back, and it doesn't mean we're going to stop here. We just... Uh, we ran and checked uh, with one of our dogs. We only uh, were able to bring one dog this time. And uh, we ran to, went to all of the different locations that we had identified from the psychic information along with uh, some information from the uh, volunteers in, uh, in the town of McCleary, Washington. And uh, we feel pretty confident we're, we're headed in the right direction. We just sort of ran out of time and... Uh, it was unfortunate we could only bring one dog at that particular search, but uh, uh, we are planning on going back and helping these people, and, of course, we want to bring closure to the mother of the missing girl and sure. all of her friends, and then, of course, uh, uh, try to assist the authorities there with as much information as we can as far as the suspect-related information we uncovered. You're actually going back next week, are you not, but to a different spot in Washington? Well, actually, I'm leaving tomorrow. Uh, this okay. time, we are taking uh, a larger group of uh, dogs and uh, and a lot of our support staff to uh, a place 
uh, north of Seattle uh, looking for a missing gentleman that uh, went missing um, not quite a year ago and actually about uh, 10 months ago. And uh, based on the information we received from the psychics in the group, we think we've narrowed down a fairly uh, decent area, uh, maybe about a mile and a half, but with the amount of dogs we're bringing this particular time, uh, we can cover it a lot more thoroughly, number one. And number two, uh, we don't have to rush uh, our searches, uh, which we we did a little bit in McCleary just because we only had the one dog and only one day to do it. So uh, this should give us a better opportunity to uh, do a better job in uh and not uh, have to rush through it and maybe make some kind of a mistake where we'd miss the individual we're looking for. So Kelly, I'm looking last, forward to it. last week we, uh, the listeners and all of us, discovered some very interesting things. Of course, how psychic abilities can add a critical investigative tool into a detective's arsenal. In your case, the Find Me group is asking the psychics to present GPS coordinates. When Sonny Don Johnson was with us last week, this was a fascinating bit that some people had quite a few comments on. Tell me about asking, please produce a GPS coordinate from a psychic. Well, the only thing we're asking the psychic to do a little differently, uh, and we started this experiment a little over five years ago, is to utilize their abilities, meditation, however they go about gaining the information that they that they receive in their normal capacity, but then we added the additional task of trying to take that information that they've received, go on to the Google Earth system, which is a satellite-based system, and try to duplicate what they saw through their meditation onto the screen in the satellite view, especially if they know the area and they've narrowed it down through their psychic ability, then go in and try to duplicate that. And, uh, and then, of course, on the GPS system are the GPS coordinates. Uh, so that's fantastic. Yeah, it really is. And we've had some great success with it. Uh, most recently, and we'll talk to Chris about it. We, we did a case in, uh, Sedona, Washington, uh, Sedona, Arizona. And, um, we were really, really close to where the aircraft went down. And, and Chris and I and you will, uh, discuss that in detail. Mm -hmm. But it, it really is helping the situation. And of course, the police. That's what they want. They don't want, uh, especially in Arizona, they don't want you to, to say something like the body is in the desert next to some mountains and uh, you can see cactus. <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. That's quite, generics, quite a large, uh, large scope. Yeah, the generic stuff is meaningless. So we're trying to get better at what we do, and every member of the Find Me group and uh, everyone involved in our project uh, is doing their best to try to come up with these accurate GPS coordinates. I think an important piece is to also note, from what I understand, is that, of course, there is no charge to anyone who asks for your services, and also no one charges from your group. Any psychic, law enforcement, canine rescue, whoever, they do not charge. Absolutely not. It was something that was very important to me when I started this, that these these families and friends of the missing person or a person that was uh, murdered, uh, they're going through enough trauma in their life. We certainly don't need to add to this misery and trauma by uh, charging for our services, and uh, and that's every single entity of what we do for these people and law enforcement. Everything is free, 
and that's the way it's just got to be. For those of you who would like to call in today, you can call us at 914-338-1186, 914-338-1186, and we're also watching the chat line on hearwomentalk.com, H-E-R-E, womentalk.com. Post your question on the chat, and we'll answer you live. Thanks, Val. Um, if it's all right with you, I'd like to get into talking to my good friend and uh close associate Can't and wait. long-time <laughs> member of Find Me. Uh, welcome to Hear Women Talk, Chris. It's great uh, talking to you. I don't get to, that many opportunities to talk to you, so today's a special day for me also. It's a special day for me. Good, um, good. I guess, good day, good evening, good night, as this goes all, all over the world. What, could be in any, what time any is it in London? What what time is it in London? Right now in London, it is quarter past seven in the evening, but I guess it's different uh, everywhere else. So. Yes, indeed. Well, at least you're still alert. <laughs> I'm st- I'm definitely still alert. I was just thinking, you know, when you talk, I've never talked on a worldwide scale before. Uh, uh, do you say good evening? And somebody in Brazil thinks, what's he talking about? You know, <laughs> That's right. What's he talking about is right. No. That's all right. We we know you're with us uh, all the way across the board. You are you are noted as a dream detective. That is your your moniker, I guess. And Kelly's done a, a lot of work with you on many cases. And um, one of the things I wanted to say in the very beginning was that one thing that Kelly has discussed before is that he would like to see the police involved early with psychic teams and with the abilities of Find Me. Um, and you are already involved early, I understand, Chris, with police departments in your area and elsewhere. How does that work? Um, it's it works in it works in two main ways. It works first of all before the crime has taken place. Uh, so that's way number one. Uh, uh, way number two is that the crime has already happened and somebody wants help uh, with that um, crime. Uh, so you've got the before the crime and you've got the after crime. Uh, what I will say is, from my 20 over years experience, that once the crime has happened, you tend to get much more information the earlier on you can get in on the investigation. Uh, that's my experience. Kelly may or may not agree with that, but that's how I've found it. Well, actually, last week Kelly did speak about that, and so did Sonny Don Johnson, that the earlier one goes in, the fresher the impressions and the greater chance of, of solving the, the uh, crime or finding leads. Yeah, the significance, uh, Chris, as you're well aware, most of the psychics, if not all of them, will, will tell you as much as you want them to tell you that the energy is the strongest uh, the second the case uh, unfolds. And uh, we try to get to these areas if possible you know based on the fact that we have psychics literally everywhere in the world but you know it's it's just not possible in each and every instance and more importantly uh, we want to be invited to these locations we certainly don't want to uh, uh, get in the way of what the police are trying to accomplish we want to be an asset to what they're doing we don't want to be uh, part of the problem we want to be you know a system and part of the solution but when we uh, we're going to take a break here, Chris, real, uh, real soon. Uh, matter of fact, in a couple of seconds. But I wanted to, when you come back, 
start you out by when you started in the Find Me group. So as soon as we get back from our commercial break, uh, I'd like to go into that as your first question, and then we'll just move on from there. And uh, it's uh, time for us to take a break, and we'll be back uh, very soon. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is Kelly Snyder and Valerie Graham. Uh, we have in our in our uh, as a guest today uh, Chris Robinson, which I had mentioned earlier, and we're looking forward to hearing from him. Chris, uh, how did this thing happen with you? Where you figured out you had a gift? Uh, could you explain that a little bit? When it happened, and and what happened to make you realize you had this gift? Yeah, I mean, basically there were one or two little things going through my early early 20s and 30s, which were maybe, maybe not, uh, and I dismissed it as maybe not. Um, <laughs> December 1988, um, I, was, I was walking along Fleet Street in London, which is the main newspaper street, or it was in those days, uh, with two officers from Scotland Yard that I'd been working with uh, on a different project. Nothing to do with this stuff. Uh, I didn't believe a word of it, really, at that point, uh, and neither did they. Uh, but I'm walking along, and it's early in the morning, and I just happened to mention to them that I'd had this amazing dream, uh, which was actually very scary. Uh, and in the dream, I'd been watching a terrorist situation, uh, and I'd been um, kind of hovering over London Airport. Uh, and I'd, I was, you know, dreams, you can do anything. And I'm sort of looking down on the airport, uh, and it's an airport that I know, so I know where I am, and I'm looking in there, and I, I can see these terrorists well, planting a bomb in a suitcase. Uh, and the bomb then goes onto an aeroplane, and the aeroplane then blows up. Um, mm. And I'm thinking, geez. What kind uh, of dream is this? <laughs> I know, absolutely. And it was the first dream of of that kind that I'd ever had. Uh, and But I'm chatting away to them, and one of the officers, uh, his name was uh, Sergeant Christopher Watts. He looked at me and he said, uh, Chris, I said, yes, Chris. He said, tell me, he said, in this dream, what color was the plane that blew up. And I said, oh, wow. I said, that's easy. I said, it was blue and white. And he said, wow, what do you think we ought to... And we were making light of this. Uh, and he said, what do you think we ought to do? You know, go and search all the blue and white planes at Heathrow today. And I said, no, don't be silly. I said, but, you know, this was so scary. I said, believe me, this was really scary. Uh, and, of course, that night, Pan Am 103 uh, blew up after taking off from... Uh, Heathrow Airport over Scotland uh, and, um, and then what happened got, <laughs> oh guess who got a visit the next day <laughs> yes indeed what did they ask you last thing they did is said uh, we actually they telephoned me uh, and said we need you down at Scotland Yard uh, as soon as you can get here I said I guess so um, uh, and I got there and for the first time they took me up the back stairs uh, instead of going up in the elevator. Uh, and oh. you can imagine the situation. You know, I've told them about this plane blowing up. The plane has blown up. The people are all dead. This is like massive. 
uh, and I'm walking up the back stairs with these two policemen, one either side of me, and I'm thinking, what are they going to do? Throw me off the top? What, you know, what? what scary, what scary. Yeah, scary. What's next for me? Uh, and one of them, who was an inspector, he looked to me and he said, Christopher, you could be a security risk. Oh, and I, said, I, I said, I guess so. Uh, the other one looked at me and he said to me, you could be an asset too. Don't worry. Uh, what did course, he mean by the security risk, uh, Chris? Well, I, I you know, I, I've, I've wondered that um, quite a lot. Uh, I think what he meant was that if you can get information about things that haven't yet happened, you know, where do you draw the line? Is Do you get information about stuff which it helps the government that you know, or do you get information about stuff as well that the government doesn't want you to know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but- the other thing I wanted to ask you, Chris, is uh, on that same line, it wasn't too long after that that uh, you had an incident where you knew that a particular building, and in this case I think it was a bank, was going to be blown up. And uh, Tell us a little bit of, about that one. I mean, that, in generic terms, so you're not naming that was, that names was and stuff. Yeah. I mean, basically, basically on that this particular day in December 89, you know, I left Scotland Yard with uh, a whole lot of things to think about and, you know, they had a whole lot of things to think about. Uh, um, I guess that they were going to be doing a whole lot of stuff like monitoring the phone and where I went and uh, and I, I figured that that would be reasonable for them to do that. Uh, one of the things they said was, uh, will you fax to our Scotland Yard number any more dreams that are like this one? And I said yes. Now, um, from mid-1989, which is just just a few months later, uh, I was faxing them dreams once or twice a week uh, about stuff that terrorists were doing in England. Um, uh, as we moved into um, 1990, I was getting zip codes for where the terrorists were going to plant their next bombs. Cool. Uh, and... Uh, and, you know, <laughs> this is a whole long story and, and there isn't time to go into it now. But by the time we got to 1991, I'd been right on so many occasions that the police were acting upon what I said if it was actionable immediately. Uh, now, you have to remember that you can have a dream with a whole load of information or you can have a psychic with a whole load of stuff that they're telling you. Uh, and it may or may not be actionable in any shape or form. As Kelly was saying, you know, you're in Arizona and you can see mountains and desert and cacti. Yeah, right. A few choices <laughs> that <doesn't>, there. <laughs> that doesn't help you. But I was getting really intelligent information which included area codes. Uh, and that helped enormously because we're now looking for a certain type of building in a zip code which is quite tight. Uh, some of the zip code areas were less than two miles square. Uh, so that helped a lot. And the uh, significance of that, Chris, I think, as you had mentioned you know, to me on several occasions, is there, there was a, a, a working relationship with the authorities to where they're listening to what you say, but then they're still investigating and bringing absolutely. to light some of the yeah. areas that they thought this was going to occur. And then by working together, you know, hand in hand, literally, uh, you started figuring out based on your dreams and the police investigation 
where these places actually were occurred or narrowing it down to one or two places, correct? Yeah, certainly, certainly narrowing it down to one or two places and very often narrowing it down to an area of less than, you know, a mile or a mile, say two miles square. The one you were mentioning there, the bank, that was a really interesting one for me because I'd had this dream. Now, uh, you've got to understand that this is a town that I know. Uh, so the bank that I'm seeing in the dream is a bank that I know, and it's in a town, obviously, that I know, and I'm pretty familiar with the area. Uh, and in this dream, I'm walking along, and it's almost as if I'm following these two terrorists. Uh, and they are holding between them uh, this package. Uh, and we get to the bank, uh, and I'm in the dream probably, you know, less than 50 meters from them. Uh, and I see them watching and waiting and watching and waiting. And then they put this package into the letterbox of the bank, uh, at which point uh, in the dream, the whole thing exploded and they were dead and I woke up. Um, now, what I was able to do with that uh, is say to uh, my police contacts that um, in four days time, this is going to happen at this bank. Uh, and I was absolutely sure. Now, what the police and I had worked, uh, we'd, we'd kind of got a, a pain threshold scale. Uh, they would say to Christopher, on, you know, on a zero to ten, you know, how strong is this? And I said to this one, this is ten. This is going to happen. Uh, so we, we made, a, made a, a protocol, a deal, whatever you want, a protocol really, uh, that I wouldn't go to that town. Um, from now, which is like the morning after the dream. Uh, they wanted to know when I was last in that town. Uh, it was many years before. Uh, it was only 10 miles from where I lived outside London, but it wasn't a place I went to. Uh, anyway, we went through the whole thing. We made statements about the whole thing, and they said, right, uh, when that night comes, we need to know where you're going to be. Ah. Uh, because, because if something happens there, we want to know where you are. That, is, said, that yeah. is very interesting. They still have that idea in their head. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's really hard to get rid of that idea, isn't it? Sure it is. It's suspicious. And, you and know, that's I mean, part of the nature even, of... Even now, you know, even now, um, I guess there are people, you know, in Washington and in London that still scratch their heads and say, watch him. But the, 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 the situation with this night... Uh, just after 10 o'clock, uh, I got a telephone call uh, from one of the policemen that I, you know, had a co regular contact with. And he said to me, all something hell has broken loose in that town uh, and they need you there right now. Can you get there? And I said, sure. Uh, and the whole thing was quite funny how I got there. Um, my card broken down that day. I went on my wife's motorbike. <laughs> and I get to the town and there's a cordon around the town and I'm saying to this policeman, this is who I am. I showed him a letter that I'd got from the Ministry of Defense, which, you know, I guess it could have been faked. But, you know, uh, it, at least it said something about who I am and what I do. Uh, and he said, and I'm Father Christmas. Get back on that bike and get out of here. Oh. So, <laughs> so it took me nearly an hour to convince them to go to the radio in the police car and radio in that I was here. Uh, and the deal was that if they didn't want me, I was going to be arrested anyway. <laughs> so, one way or the other, you were going to get in there. One way or the other. <laughs> you were going to find out. That 
Are so, you? Chris, this... Uh, so they came, anyway, they this, came back uh, to the car and said they want to see him. Governor, you know, we've got to take him in. They're waiting for him. Uh, and that was egg on their face. Well, the, the good news, though, is, is it started to create this uh, this trust between you and the authorities that, you know, when you give them information, they really need to take heed as to what you're trying to say. And then between your abilities and their investigative abilities, uh, between the two of you, you could narrow down and, in this case, literally tell them where it's going to happen and almost exactly when it was going to happen. Well, so, what it yeah, what it did do is it, it made us understand a little bit more about what had been happening for the last three years. Because it was somewhere that I knew very well, uh, and it was somewhere that was quite close to where I lived, we realized that that is a key to getting better information. Uh, and until then, they weren't taking me to the incidents uh, as a routine. Uh, I was still arm's length. Uh, but after that night, you know, we realized that going to the event, the moment it happens, actually feeds the information loop and you get more before it happens. Uh, and that was a big lesson that night. Yeah, I mean, and that's the way you've actually been practicing uh, and handling almost every case that you work on since then. Isn't that correct? That's, that's absolutely right, yes. Well, it's time for us to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with the Dream Detective, live from London, Chris Robertson. We'll be right back. Valerie, I think uh, just before we broke, you had mentioned uh, that we had a call in. Um, what exactly uh, was the question well, again? We had a question uh, for Christopher that uh, asked if he used any other premonition type of skills aside from dreaming I mean you are the dream detective but do you use other things was the question uh, the answer to that is yes I do use other things um, I have used um, a pendulum on a map um, on a few occasions with quite frankly outrageously successful results it doesn't always work uh, but I have been able to do that, uh, especially with missing children. Um, it seems to work quite well. You can get you can get a localized area, uh, and then take a pendulum over the map. Um, so yes, there are other things that I've been able uh, to utilize. But the dreams have really been the the key to that. Yeah, one of the interesting things um, that some psychologists that I've been working with, um, academics, um, you know, when we dream. Uh, and what we think is that ladies, women uh, seem to dream more uh, and be more psychic than men are uh, way, way more. Uh, so most psychics turn out to be women, uh, and some of the best psychics in the world turn out to be women. Some of the best mediums turn out to be women. Uh, and um, what we think is um, is that it's partly an it's partly an upbringing thing you know man have a man thing you know and, and they dismiss stuff uh, early on in their lives uh, but what we know is that most of the dreams that you have you don't remember uh, so what is interesting and it's part of some of the experiments that I've been doing over the years is that okay so you've had the dream you've had the premonition you don't remember it but you get right up to something 
uh, like walking down a street or meeting somebody or somebody calls you and that triggers what we call a psychic impression so you haven't remembered it was a dream but you have already had the information in that dream and yes. suddenly something happens in the real world which triggers it and you think and we call that deja vu very often very often though when we experience or when I've experienced deja vu I can look back in my dream diary which I keep I keep a record of all the dreams I can look back and maybe a week or ten days before there it is you dreamt it you just had forgotten about it that's all your dream diary is certainly a diary I think a lot of people would like to take a look at now you're it's a fascinating thing because you had said that your dreams when you dream each night you're dreaming about a day in the life the next day basically in your life and all the extraneous events happen as you are alive that day is that how it works yeah it can be the next day there there seem to be given windows uh, so the next day is the most common one so you'll dream tonight about tomorrow uh, you can also dream some of the next day so the the tomorrow window extends uh, I would say about 48 hours so there's this first window of up to 48 hours uh, and then it drops off uh, and there's a week window there's a seven or eight day window uh, and then that drops off um, so typically you don't dream something 10 days ahead or 12 was, you can dream else that, 40 Chris there was something else I wanted to have you talk a little bit about um, in all the years we've worked together you had you had mentioned that in the summertime uh, you're dreaming and not so much the accuracy as much as the uh, not getting information seems to dwindle during the summer months uh, any idea what the the real deal is on that well there's two things I've there's two things that I've looked at over the 20 odd years that I've been doing this first of all it's absolutely true that certain of the summer months the dreams are much less clear they're also much less clear uh, three weeks around Christmas. Uh, That's now, why would that be? Well, yes, it, yeah, uh, it could be uh, that if all the and this is I'm telling you what other scientists have told me, uh, and they say it could be that when we get vacation time, typically I'm England, so I'm plugged into the England zone. I'm connected to my home, you know, and around me. Uh, and typically during the summer, uh, everything quietens down. People start taking vacations, uh, and the whole if you like group psychology of the country the planet even um, changes uh, and certainly about Christmas time locally especially you know everybody's getting ready and they're gonna have Thanksgiving and then you know within a week of that or two weeks of that you got Christmas and so you've got this whole quietening down uh, of, of the minds of everybody so if this is a group consciousness thing the consciousness is different than in those times. Consciousness times. is different at those times. The other, the other thing that, that that we're looking at, and trying to figure out what kind of experiments we could do to prove it. Um, the other thing we're looking at is the position in the sky of the moon. That seems to change it as well. Well, one of the other interesting things, Chris, that I know that you have been taking care of uh, ever since you started this 20 some years ago was you've kept not only your diary of your dreams but you also maintained almost like a catalog of what certain things mean 
can you explain a little bit about that? Because I think it's significant for the simple reason that a lot of psychics out there um, get this information, but they don't really keep a record of it for interpretation purposes. So I'd like you to spend a couple of minutes, you know, explaining why you do it, and then the significance of when you see certain things, you know exactly what it means. Right now, then. Um symbols dreams this is dream symbology uh, so you can have a dream it's what you see what you get uh, so if you see a car it means a car if you see an aeroplane it means an aeroplane uh, but it's also everything's got a symbolic meaning for me when I'm dreaming and I see a dog I know that that equates to a terrorist or at least a serious killer uh, and I now, I've done it for donkey's years now, uh, no dog in a dream, no terrorist attack. That is your uh, personal so symbology then? My personal symbology. Now, if you look it, look it up in a regular dream dictionary, they'll say dog is man's best friend. Well, not to me it ain't. Ah, okay. Not to me it ain't. Now, why is that? We don't know. We don't but know the significance of it, Chris, is not only the dog signifying, you know, a bad thing or a bad person or terrorist, but you've also come up with little, uh, almost like weather-related uh, instances that have, you know, put you in a sense where you know something's going to hap happen instantly, eminently, or in the near future. Explain a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, basic, basically, if I see it snowing in a dream, that says to me that the event, the incident that I've been monitoring is now imminent. Uh, it can be raining very heavily in a dream. That means it's less serious than if it's snowing. So what I look out for on a terrorist point of view is I look for dogs, I look for rain, I look for snow, uh, and uh, I look for meat. Um, because if I see a butcher's shop or something like that, I know we're about to get, you know, the carnage. So obviously a white Christmas does not have the same meaning for you it, <laughs> in your dreams than it might for it somebody else. It certainly wouldn't if there were dogs around the Christmas tree. Well, a, a professor who worked with you on an experiment to test your abilities, and I think Kelly's going to bring that up in a little bit, called you the Michael Jordan of the precognitive world. And some have said maybe you should be called Nostradamus. But at the same time, Nostradamus dreamed so many hundreds of years and even uh, more in advance. But you aren't dreaming that way, are you? No, the longest in advance I have uh, that I could be certain about uh, is uh, June the 6th, 1999, was my first 9-11 dream. Hmm. So it's a couple of years. Uh, I haven't got anything that I would say went further ahead than that. Uh, one of the things we do think, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, that we're right, I'm right with it, is the, the, the more terrible the event, the further in advance you can see it. Well, one of the things, the significance of why I asked you that question, Chris, about you know the cataloging and what means something to you would be different than others is not necessarily to identify for the rest of the psychic world or the listening audience about how every psychic would interpret it the same way as you is the the main thing is 
that the psychics that are out there listening uh, take this into consideration to log and keep track of all of the different things that they see and in their interpretation see down the road that it means the same thing over and over once they get a chance to validate their information. So almost like it's a learning process, the information's coming in and then they just need to take time to make sure that uh, they're getting what they're getting. So that was what I was getting at. But when, oh, yeah, no. when we do... Yeah. Uh, when we do this, I know why you're doing it for your reasons, but I was trying to make sure everyone else understood the significance of it. Yeah, no, the thing to do is, first of all, if you are having dreams, remember, whether they're precognitive in your mind's eye or not yet, write them down. You know, you're having them for a reason. You're remembering them for a reason. So do keep a diary. Uh, and they're very easy to keep. You just need a folder, with, you know, scribble the date on the top and what you dreamt that night, you know. It's it's not difficult. What you will find, though, and you're right, Kelly, is over a little period of time, not too long, you'll start to see what you will think, oh, that's a coincidence. I dreamt of so-and-so and that happened. Wow, it happened again there. You'll build your dictionary like that. That's the only way you're going to build it. And that's what and that's, that's even what regular people should do if they want to keep right. track of their dreams as well. Yes. Chris, uh, we're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, I would like to, you to uh, talk about when you joined Find Me and why. And, uh, and then we'll talk about the... Uh, Marcy Randolph case, if you'd like, and uh, even uh, talk a little bit about the Arizona experiments. So uh, we'll see you when you come back, and uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Be right back. Welcome back, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder and Valerie Graham with uh, Chris Robinson at our, as our guest today. And, uh, Chris, just before we broke, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh your abilities and how you kept track of them and that this has helped you throughout the years to validate basically everything that you receive information wise but I'm also curious and I'm sure the listening audience is uh, wanting to know when did you join find me and what is the significance there was something else in your life going on at the same time can you tell us a little bit about that yeah I mean to keep it really short in 2001 in July uh, I had enough of my crazy dreams of terrorists crashing planes into cities, uh, and I'd made contact with a professor who happened to be in Arizona, uh, in the U.S., and asked him uh, if we could do some scientific experiments. Uh, not only, I mean, I didn't need convincing, uh, and a lot of the people that I'd worked with in Scotland Yard and that didn't need convincing, but new cops, other agencies all over the world, I wanted to convince them. So we set up an experiment. Uh, and I came to the U.S. in 2000, well, in, we did the experiment in August uh, 2001 uh, uh, at the U of A. Uh, and um, the results of that uh, can be read about on the Internet, just search it all. Uh, but outrageous results, unbelievable. Uh, and while I was over there, um, I dreamt of 9-11 again. Uh, and, and, you know, my whole aim was uh, to get together a group of people. Uh, and um, after 9-11, I was invited back uh, to the U.S. many times. Uh, and on one of those occasions, I bumped into you, Kelly. I don't exactly remember how it happened. It was faded. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, I recall 
yeah, we were putting the group together about the same time, and uh, quite honestly, I don't remember exactly, you know, the specific month or anything, but uh, you found out about it through one of the members, and uh, the two February of you actually joined the group about the same time. February 2003, uh, and I think you were just putting it together at that time. We were. It was. It started in November, but because of the holidays and everything, we actually started uh, having meetings and seeing how we wanted this to work in uh, January, February, and March. And and uh, I thought it was February or March that you were in it town was. for one of your yeah, experiments. It so, mm. so it was meant to be, obviously. And uh, the you know, to explain just a little bit, if you would, the the significance of how the experiment unfolded with the envelopes and uh, so people can get a little bit of an understanding as to how the experiment went. Yeah, but basically my premise uh, that if I'm really seeing future events, if somebody takes control of my future and randomizes my future uh, and then I go on to see randomized events, uh, that's proof positive that this is real. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do. So what the professor did, uh, he arranged for uh, there to be a pool of locations. Uh, and this pool of locations, uh, each each single location, uh, the address of it was typed on a piece of paper, put into an envelope. Um, there were 20 envelopes with 20 locations. Uh, and what he did uh, to remove it from him, uh, he sent them to a magician that he knew in San Diego. So the magician gets 20 envelopes, uh, and the magician is instructed to find another friend uh, of theirs uh, to hand those envelopes to. And basically now, uh, the professor who's conducting the experiment, he knows that there are 20 possible bases. He has no idea now who the magician has given the envelopes to, and every morning after I've had a dream about where I'm going to go, they would pull an envelope out and take me to that place, see if it matched the dream of the night before it did. That's incredible. I mean, that's just outrageous, incredible. unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> I know. And, and the significance, too, is that it was all filmed. So it wasn't like, you know, these things could be conjured or, or changed. It was all filmed on the day. It was the event it was, was supposed to take place. A lot of quality control going on there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the skeptics uh, you know, of the it, world. I mean, my, my ambition was to get to the CIA or somebody like that. Um, because I was now seeing stuff that was outside of the UK. Right, right. And that was my ambition. Uh, ambition fulfilled. Yes, indeed. And, and of course, you also, I know, are associated with Her Majesty's Customs. Uh, yep. Well, I, those questions I already have, see. Uh, and when I was starting to see stuff which I figured was in the United States, I was being told by the people here, well, you know, we don't we, we don't want to get involved in that. And I said, yes, we do. <laughs> we certainly do, you know. I certainly did. I didn't want to have a boundary around me uh, where I, you know, wasn't utilizing. You know, if I was seeing stuff in Australia, I wanted a contact in Australia. Absolutely, uh, and of course. And I want, so I'm now seeing stuff in America. I want a contact there, you know, and, and my, my own contact. Uh, how, which, how have you which been received? You have you do have a contact then in a, in the United oh, States. I, I I can safely say, and Kelly knows a lot more about this than either of us will say. Understand. I can safely say that I have been treated in the most incredibly 
polite uh, and wonderful way by everybody uh, that I've met in the government. Of this country? Incredibly well. Of well, this country, is good news. This is good news, Kelly. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that, Chris knows that this is the direction that we want our group to go. It's, um, you know, we want all of the authorities to contact us so that we can help them and and certainly, if families contact us, uh, you know, to find a loved one, we're certainly going to respond to that also. But we want these things to be fresh. We want them to be as quickly as they unfold. We want to be there. And we're not getting in anyone's way. We're not jumping in their squad cars. We're not going to the, you know, to interview suspects or any of that. We're just going to work side by side, but separately and provide information to them. So really, it's a win-win. We're not in their way. They're doing their investigation their way. Uh, we're just feeding them information so that they can have a little bit more of an insight uh, on the particular investigation that they're on. So it, it's significant in that way. And and I did want to touch base on a little bit, Chris, on the Marcy Randolph case, which uh, if you could give us just a tiny bit. The case lasted two and a half yeah. years. So if you could yeah, spend no, just mean, a couple of minutes... Yeah, basically, I was being filmed in England for a television documentary. Uh, what they wanted was an interesting case. Uh, and I said, well, you know, let's wait and see what next comes in from Find Me. Uh, so I then get um, a message from Kelly by email that there is a missing airplane somewhere uh, in the United States. Now, I didn't know at that time even what airport it took off from uh, but I know it was a case that Kelly was you know going to be looking at so what I did is I spoke to the producer of this program in the UK said look there's an airplane missing somewhere in the US you know are you interested in doing something with that and they said well yes so what I did is I went to bed that night um, and I asked whoever it is that I to to give me a message that would help me understand where this missing aeroplane was. Uh, and I wanted whoever it was that helped me uh, to link it to an experiment I was doing with the producer of the show. Now, basically, the producer of the show was going to come to my house on the next morning, and she was going to bring a box with her. And in the box, she was going to have put something that hopefully I had a dream either about the object or the history of the object. I took it one step further and said, make her put something in there that tells me where the plane is. Now, I know that sounds difficult to believe, but that is what we did, and the program is available to view. She came along the next day, and I, when I told her what I'd done, she said, oh, this is ridiculous. I don't even want to film this. I said, well, it, you've got to film it because it's part of what I'm doing. So she opens up her bag, and she takes out a box, and she hands me the box and said, what did you dream? I said, I'm dreaming something to do with a bearing. Now, if we're looking for an aeroplane, we're going to need to find a heading, a bearing. She said, open the box. I opened the box. In there was her teething ring, an ivory teething ring from when oh. she was a baby. And hanging on the teething ring was a silver bear. She was absolutely freaked and blown away and spent the whole day, why did I put that in there? What, what even made me have something? Uh, and anyway, the dreams gave us a whole series of numbers. And, uh, and what I said to her was, you know, you've put that in there for a reason. You've been, it's been selected somehow spiritually. What we did is we went to Google Earth 
and I typed in bear ring and bear circle and there was a bear circle in Sedona, Arizona uh, and we looked at it on the map and I printed out the map and I held a pendulum over the map and I said that's where the plane is that's before we even knew where the plane took off from and that's then the amazing. end result of right, Kelly, was yeah, well, the thing I wanted to make sure everyone heard before we ended today was that the plane was found in bear forest, so obviously the bear had the significance. And later on, once we found the coordinates where the aircraft had crashed, we then took those coordinates from the crash site back to Sedona Airport, which was the destination, and that was the 120-degree heading that you had originally come up with. So very, very significant, and uh, it was, you know, Unfortunately, we found the plane two and a half years later when a lot of this was uncovered. But uh, nonetheless, the information was, re you know, correct. We just had difficulty in interpreting it. Uh, Chris, you know, I wanted to thank you uh, so much oh, for yes. joining us today. It was great. You're uh, you're an excellent guest, and of course, uh, you know, we've uh, worked together now for six plus years and I uh, hope it's going to be another 26 years that we're together but anyway I did want to thank you so much for joining us today and Kelly if if some people missed part of this broadcast or would like to share it with their friends they can go to hearwomentalk.com h-e-r-e hearwomentalk.com and go to the archives thank you everyone and we'll see you next week